um, sinking down roots. We talked two, Tim talked two weeks ago about uh, being rooted in love from Ephesians chapter 3. And I really encourage you to listen to that if you weren't here. Listen to it online at greateraltonchurch.com or you can go to the information booth and get a CD. In fact, if you're visiting today and it's your first time here, you get a free CD. Whether it's, oh, you want to listen to me again or you want to go back and listen to Tim, that's fine. You won't hurt my feelings. You can just go do that. I'll go to the information booth out in the small dome and just tell them you want your free CD and they'll get that for you. Um, but guys, in order, one of the things we do to try to stay focused on the theme today or this year, and you may or may not be aware of this, is we have some t-shirts for sale at the bookstore. Fine, t- fine looking t-shirts. Where's my models at? I got two models over here. They were supposed to be up here ready to go. And I'm married to one of them, so that may be the explanation there. <laughs> she laughed. Good. That's good. But guys, these t-shirts are available at the bookstore. They are $5 each. I believe there's even some lower prices for younger sizes. Is that correct? Oh, the bigger sizes are more expensive. That's what's correct. I'm sorry. $5. I'm more athletic type. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. You're welcome to... You did, you did. But we encourage you guys to uh, get a T-shirt. They'll be they'll be on sale as long as they have some. And if there's a demand, they will get more. But I believe there's plenty right now. And uh, so I encourage you to go get those. Um, also, guys, in, re- in response to this, there's a book that the uh, majority of us or a lot of us are starting. That there's only four left in the bookstore, counting this one right here. It is called The Fruits of the Spirit, Living the Supernatural Life by Bill Hybels. And it's designed specifically for small groups of people to go through. There are, it's only six lessons. Uh, seriously, you can take two to your quiet times a week and, and spend it on this. And it, it's very focused. And it's what Tim's going to, Tim and I are going to be speaking on for the next six weeks. And I guess Nathan's going to be speaking one too, right? Is that right? Nathan, you know, you know anything about that yet? Have you heard about that yet? Oh, some. Okay. Next week. Next week. Uh, anyway, whoever's up here will be speaking for the next six weeks on the fruits of the Spirit that correspond with this book. They also come out of the Bible, as we're going to be learning here for a minute. But, guys, we encourage you to get the book um, and to go through it on your own. And then uh, if, you, if, you, if you are meeting in a discipling relationship or in a discipleship group, uh, we're asking you to talk about that during the discipleship groups. And the reason, guys, is very simple. You know, I feel a little funny um, talking about fruit so quickly. I believe the focus needs to be on roots. And Tim and I discussed this, and we're, we're not going to quit talking about roots. All right? As we talk about each fruit of the Spirit, we're going to talk about how, where, where that comes from, where, where your roots need to be in order to have that fruit in your life. And guys, we believe with all our heart that that's what God says. That's where this comes from. But we also want to know where we're going. Uh, I quoted... I have a quote that I didn't look up. It's, I believe it's from Alice in Wonderland. I don't know this for a fact. Debbie Wiley, you can probably tell me because you're just that kind of person. But there was a, I want to say Alice was in Wonderland and she, she's asking somebody, well, I don't know which way to go. And the guy says, well, where are you wanting to get to? You know what? And she goes, well, I don't really know where I want to go. He goes, well, if you don't really know where you want to go, then it doesn't really matter which way you, which direction you head in. And so, guys, we want to lay it out. That was Alice in Wonderland. Thank you. Okay. 
I know I butchered the quote. I know there's a better way to do it. You got the heart of the matter from me, okay? That's, that's what really counts. You got the message, okay? We're not about perfection here at Greater Alton. Yes. Um, but guys, when we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, what we're really doing is we're trying to say this is the direction we want to head in, guys. Our goal is not just to get rooted in what God says to get rooted in and then never to have it produce fruit. We want it to overflow out of our lives. And so as we look at the fruits of the Spirit over the next six or seven weeks, however long it's going to be, this is, what, this is the reason we're doing that. And we're going to continue to talk about our roots. But anyway, the, the, the passage of the fruits of the Spirit come from is in Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to be reading the passage that it comes from uh, in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. You're welcome to follow along with me uh, if you have your Bible with you. It won't be on the screen. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so if it's not word for word exactly like yours, that's, that's okay. I like this translation. If you just want to listen along, you can do that. But guys, just a little bit of background of what's going on in Galatians chapter 5, in the book of Galatians as a whole. You see, the people at Galatia had become Christians. And at that time, there were some people who showed up, and they were starting to teach something different than what Jesus taught. And what it was, they had came from a Jewish background, and the Jewish people had laws, specifically the law of Moses. And what they were telling the people is, you're not really a Christian unless you also obey the laws of Moses. Specifically, you must be circumcised. Okay, I know it didn't infect the women much, but there were some men who were a little disturbed about that. They were also telling them they needed to obey the Sabbath, they needed to be, partake in certain festivals. That basically, you had to be you, to be a Christian. You had to do what Jesus said and follow the law of Moses, which is not what Jesus taught. Okay, and and just in all honesty, guys, this is the way religious groups tend to fall. We tend to be more comfortable with rules than we do relationship. You know that? And so we don't want to know. We don't want to go seek an answer from God because we haven't maintained a relationship with Him. We want somebody just to tell us a rule. And honestly, here at Greater Alton, we have a history that's, that falls into some of that. And we're working very hard at saying, guys, we want to be led by the Spirit. We want to have the freedom that God believes, that God teaches us to have. And this is what this passage is about. Beginning in verse 13, it says, For you've been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, 
sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, anger, or outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Pretty exhaustive list there. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Guys, a wonderful passage. And it really lays it out. It talks about the acts of the sinful nature or being led by the Spirit. And basically it tells you that there are going to be two motivations that are going to be battling in your life. You're going to have a sinful desire, okay, that all of us have. It's a sinful nature, if you will. We tend towards doing the wrong thing. Is that not correct? If you're a man in your marriage, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You tend to do the wrong thing, not the right thing. Guys, and there's a Holy Spirit that leads you to do the right thing. And these, the Holy Spirit and our sinful desire oppose each other. They, 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 they desire things that are opposite. And it goes on to talk about the acts of the sinful nature or the fruits of the Spirit. Guys, when we talk about bearing fruit here as a church, you know, sink down roots, raise up fruit. We, and we, when we say... We, we look around and we see the church not bearing fruit. What we should really say is we're not bearing the right kind of fruit. Because the truth of the matter is, it's a fact that I'm bearing fruit right now. Whether I'm bearing fruits of the Spirit or not, I am bearing fruit right now. You see, if you look in your notes in Matthew chapter 7, this is what Jesus says. In verse 20, He says, Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit... So you can identify people by their actions. And what he's saying is, he's equating fruit with actions. The fruit in your life is the actions you take. Now, unless you're a quadriplegic and can't get out of bed, you're going to take some actions every day, correct? And even then, you're going to take actions, probably perhaps speaking. Every one of us takes action, and we bear fruit in our life. That's the first fact there that I want to look at, is I'm bearing fruit right now. Your thoughts, your beliefs, your feelings dictate your actions, and you are bearing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit am I bearing? And that's really a question, guys, that we need, as, as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we need to look and ask. Can people tell that I'm a follower of Jesus by my actions? Is what the fruit in my life, does it say I'm a follower of Jesus, or does it say I'm an American? Does it say I'm just like everybody else around me? That's really the question we're going to look at. So guys, when we look at the, the fruits of the Spirit, today we're going to start. The first fruit that's in, in the list in Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, is love. And in your notes there it says, so what's the big deal about love? 
And there's three things about love, guys. First is that love is the beginning point. It's the foundation. In Matthew chapter 22, there were some teachers of the Jewish law, some Pharisees and other guys, that they came up to Jesus and it says they were trying to trick him. And they asked him a question about what is the most important commandment. I don't know what they thought. don't know how they were trying to trick him. But the, the answer is just the most amazing thing, in my opinion. Uh, up on the screen here is part of it is his answer. And this is what it says. It says, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commands. See, guys, the real thing you want to look at there and you want to pay attention to is that last sentence. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. What is that saying? It's saying that everything else you do, every effort you make to try to obey God, every effort you make to try to live your life God's way is going to depend on how much you love. That's what it says. You're supposed to love God with everything you have, and you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you take the reverse of that, what does that mean? What does that mean if, you're, if you don't love God with everything you have, and you don't love your neighbor as you love yourself? How easy is it going to be to try to obey God in other areas? You're going to be extremely frustrated. I don't know how else to put it, guys. That's what it is. You want to know the, and I'm going to talk about the secret ingredient in a minute. You want to know what really is going to turbocharge your relationship with God. It's love. And guys, that's what he's saying is it's the foundation. Everything else rides on that. The next thing, the next thing is that love is, love is actually God's secret ingredient. Okay? It is the main thing. Do you know... I am. I was just talking with Alan before. Alan's the song leader up here, if you don't know Alan. And Alan was, uh, and I were speaking about um, our physical inabilities at the age of nearly 50 and uh, how we feel from day to day. And then we were both in agreement that a source of our problem beyond our age is what we eat. Now, when you go into or you go into any food place, in America today, there's one ingredient that dominates our food these days. You know what it is? Sugar. High fructose corn syrup is the same thing, by the way, okay? It is sugar. Uh, my daughter got me motivated. She was trying to cut out sweets, and so we did it together. And I'm getting off sugar. I haven't had a Mountain Dew in seven days. Woo! Exactly. <laughs> Yesterday, my wife and I were driving around uh, doing some things, and we ended up stopping at a Casey's to use the bathroom, and you walked into Casey's. And do you know what you can smell when you walk into Casey's? Donuts, yes. But beyond donuts, sugar. I mean, you go into any mini-mart. It doesn't have to just be Casey's. We went into a Huck's later on. And I had the same effect. I dare you. I challenge you to go through those sto- any mini-mart and look for protein. There is a small section with nuts in it, okay? That's it. Somebody said, somebody said in the teacher service, what about the breakfast bars? 
Would you look at the ingredients on a breakfast bar? I mean, it is, they are loaded with sugar. I mean, to give you an example, I have my, my, my oldest son last summer was riding with me, and we were talking about this, and I was talking about I have some uh, protein bars. And you, you, honestly, you go look at the, you turn protein bars over the back, and it is usually, you're lucky if it, the ratio of sugar to protein is less than two to one, is really what it is. And I had some protein bars that it's the opposite direction. Ten grams of protein, only six grams of sugar. Okay, I'm pretty good at it. He comes home one night and he's all excited. He goes, Dad, I got a, a bag of Reese's uh, Pieces. And it's got 25 grams of protein. You know, it's got peanut butter in it. Okay, it's got protein. How much sugar does it have? 100 grams of sugar. To give you an idea, a 12-ounce can of Mountain Dew has 46 grams of sugar. Okay, after you get off this stuff... Honestly, I'll go do, I, will, I will have a Mountain Dew in a couple of weeks. I will treat myself. And if I get a can of Mountain Dew, I'm going to feel like I should have pancakes with it because it tastes like syrup. I mean, it is just so thick. Guys, sugar is the main ingredient in every piece of food that we have. You know, or, you know, not every piece, but you understand what I'm saying. In our world today, it's difficult. And I challenge you guys, if you want to get healthy, you go try to go buy food without sugar. And you see what it's like. It is a challenge. It's, the world thinks it's a secret ingredient. Guys, when it comes to a relationship with God, love is the secret ingredient. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what he says here. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge... And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the, I have to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. You see, guys, love is God's secret ingredient. You want to know how to have a relationship with God? You want to know how to live the life that God wants you to have? You want to experience life the way God wants you to have? Love is the secret ingredient. Loving God and loving other people. That is what it's all about. That is what it is. And you see, guys, the last thing there about what's the big deal about love is that God's love is the soil for our roots. And Tim did a wonderful job talking about this two weeks ago. And this was his passage in Ephesians chapter 3. And guys, listen to this. It says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from His glorious, unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit. Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. 
You see, guys, roots go down to the soil to give the plant, the tree, nourishment. Guys, our roots have got to be in God's love. That's where our nourishment comes from. That is where, if we're going to love the way God wants us to have. And ultimately, guys, this is what I love, that last sentence again. It says, then you will be made complete with all the fullness and life and power that comes from God. How? When? When you understand the magnitude of God's love. When you experience God's love. When your roots go down deep into His love. You see, guys, that's not the way we normally approach things. The way we approach things is to say, if you want to live the life God wants you to live, you need to first of all make a commitment to Jesus. And after you make a commitment to Jesus, you need to spend time with Him every day. And after you spend time with Him every day, you need to be in a ministry. And then after you're involved in a ministry, you, maybe you'll be a, become a leader. And then you'll be mature and complete. Is that more what we teach? Does that sound familiar to some of you? Traditionally, that's our line of thinking. What does this say? What does Jesus, or what does Paul say here? And the Holy Spirit through Paul, this is what he says. He says, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. When? When you experience God's love. When you understand the man. And here's the really cool part about this. I don't know if you caught it or not. I tell, every time I look at this passage, I've got to share this. But it says you'll never fully understand God's love. What does that mean? There's always more room for growth. I mean, you're never going to understand it, it, the, the depth. Your roots can never grow deep enough into God's love. I, if you, if you, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my relationship with God, you know, I'll be reading a certain book of the Bible or studying a certain topic, and I'll get done with that topic, and I go, where do I go now? What should I go do now? I think we ought to have a default setting that whenever we scratch our heads and go, what should I go do now? We need to go look at God's love. Because why? Number one, we don't know it all. And that's where our roots need to be. You need to be there. I said earlier that when we looked at Greater Alton, we said that we didn't see the right kind of fruit. And the Bible's very clear that fruit comes from maturity. I mean, we looked at the parable of soils three weeks ago, and that's the thorny soil. You look at two different passages of, that, of, the, of Jesus telling that story, and one it says the thorns choked out the, choked out the plant and it did not mature. Another, in another passage it says they did not bear fruit. You can use those intertwined. Now, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not as a proficient at studying the Bible as Alan is over here. Um, the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. I don't know if you know that, a language called Koine Greek. It is now a dead language. It does not exist. It was a, the language that people spoke, common language. And there's different places in the Bible where that word is, tran- where, uh, the same Greek word can be translated to more than one of our English words. Okay? It's not a matter of one being right, one being wrong. It's a matter of, uh, in, depending on the context, the guy that's translating it thinks this does a better job. A great example of it is the word that's translated discipline. The word discipline, uh, in our our world today, discipline holds kind of a negative connotation, doesn't it? You know, when you think of discipline, you usually think of punishment. You know, you're getting a spiritual butt whooping is what you think about. God disciplining you, that's what you think about. That word that's translated discipline can just as easily be translated training. 
See, now, I like the word training better. You know why? Because that, that connotation isn't a spiritual butt woman. That's a spiritual coach. That's God looking at a coach trying to make me better. And so I like to use that word, training instead of discipline. In this passage here, and I, I didn't check it out, but it says, then you will be made complete. I'm guessing that the word that's translated complete could also be translated mature. Because the word mature means complete. And guys, that's the deal. If we want to be mature people, we've got to really be rooted in God's love. And I'm going on and on, so I'll stop. So anyway, we're moving forward. Guys, what does this love look like? The first thing we want to talk about is that love is submissive. If you're going to bear the fruit of love that God wants you to have, submissiveness is going to be a part of it. You see, I say that because in today's world, there's a lot of different pictures of love out there, isn't there? I mean, you turn on the TV, it's all kinds. I tell this story. Back in, back in the 80s, before I was married, I had a date with a girl. And she wanted to go see a movie. It was called Against All Odds. I don't know if very few people are familiar with the movie. It wasn't a great movie. And I said, well, what's it about? And she said, well, I think it's a love story. Oh, great, love story. We'll go see it. And so we went and saw the, the, the movie, and it was about, had a football player in it. That was good. Football team. And he blew out his knee and got involved in some illegal stuff with drugs and things. And he ends up along his path. He falls in love with, I believe it's the, the owner's daughter. And uh, they, very quickly they meet. And uh, next thing you know, they're rolling around on the beach. And she goes, see, I told you it was a love story. I go, that's not love, that's sex. And guys, that's just the truth of the matter. When you look at our world today, the picture of love isn't what God says love is. Is that fair to say? Have you noticed? I've noticed the commercials on TV, there's a whole new market or industry that's opening up. This centered around this, this thing of love, and it's for, you know, the online dating scene. You know, eHarmony's been around for a while. But have you seen some of the more focused, you know, focused to the specific groups? Have you seen the one for farm people or country? I'm, I'm serious. Have you seen it? Dude, I, dude, I, I couldn't believe it. The first time I saw it, I, I thought, is that for real? They had two cows out in the field talking. Hey, Bob's sure lonely. Yeah, but he's not going to find anybody hanging around us. What's he going to do? Well, he needs to go to, and whatever the website is, countrylovers.com or or farm people. I don't know. I did go look it up to see if it was real, and it was. You know, and then they got one that's on now, and it's, I don't, you see how much attention I pay to these things on details. I don't know what the name of it is, but it's designed for people my age. Okay, and why why does that exist? Because love in today's world, in today's society, is not an enduring thing. It's a cyclical thing, and there is a whole group of people who have experienced love and have been married, and now what? They're single again because of uh, because of divorce, and there's this huge market. And what does it tell us? It tells us that. Love is a cyclical thing. You're going to have it for a while, but it's going to go away. It's going to disappear. And it was the same thing on the, on the farm for the farm people. I mean, you're dealing with middle-aged people who couldn't find love. 
And guys, you're going to have to understand, if you're going to bear the fruit of love in your life the way the Holy Spirit wants you to have, we're going to have to submit to what God says love is. We're going to have to look at what God says love is, and we're going to have to literally throw out our picture of what love is. Because I guarantee you, every one of us has the wrong idea of what love is. And we're going to have to look at that. And we're going to have to decide. Guys, I think also you're going to have to decide that's what you want. Some of the other fruits of the Spirit are, excuse me, one of of the other fruits of the Spirit, just one, is gentleness. Now, I have a question for all the men in the room. Is there anybody who has a desire to be known as a gentle man? A few of you. <laughs> We're tough guys. You know, how many of you have ever thought, you know, when I die, I just hope that's the number one thing people say about me is that I was gentle. That's not a natural desire for us men, is it? Guys, I say that because it, that illustrates my point that much clearer. If you're going to be known as a person who loves the way God wants you to love, you're going to have to choose it. You're going to have to decide that you're going to submit to what God says love is like and not to what you think it is or what you want it to be. Guys, that's why last week was so important was we talked about being rooted in lordship. Because what pleases the Lord isn't love that's in the world today. What pleases the Lord is love the way He defines it. And we're going to have to do that. You're going to have to be submissive. See, guys, the truth of the matter, when we come to our relationship with God and our approach to God, most of us are like I was in high school with regards to my classes. When I was in high school at Alton High 30-some years ago, I like to tell people I majored in running because I ran track across country. But I also majored in math because I took every last math class that school had. I loved math. And I minored in Frisbee. I referred to, when they asked you if you were taking a foreign language, I said, yes, I'm taking English. Required classes were just that. I would cheat in those classes. My, my calculus class, I would not think of cheating unless it was giving out answers. Okay, I would not take them. But that was, what I did was I picked and I chose what I did. And it, guys, it went, it went really, I mean, it went so far that uh, me and my best friend from, from high school, Vernon Kirby, he's Mr. Kirby from the high school. If you go to Alton High, you know him. Two 17-year-old boys go, go to Champaign, Illinois for an indoor track meet. Seniors in high school were in college town, party town, with a motel room on a Saturday night. And we were in that motel room doing calculus homework. I mean, we got into what we wanted, and we stayed away from stuff we didn't. Guys, when it comes to relationship with God, a lot of us tend to be that. No, we all tend to be that way. There's some things that come easy for us. There's some things that we have a natural desire for. And there are other fruits of the Spirit that we go, I don't know if I want that one. I just want to know, I just want the required amount. And I'll cheat then. 
And so, guys, you've got to understand that if you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, you're going to have to be submissive. You're going to bear the fruit of love. You're going to have to be submissive. Look in Galatians 5. This is what it says in verse 25. It says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. In Ephesians 5, this is what it says. It says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, guys, walk in the way of love. That right there is a command. The question is, will I submit to that command or not? If I'm going to bear the fruit of love, I'm going to have to submit and make that my desire. Make that my major, if you will. And give it some attention. The next thing, guys, there about love is that love is selfless. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2 is the best description, the most practical way of being selfless. Here's what it says. It says, don't be selfish. <laughs> but it goes on. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. You want to know how to be selfless, you think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You see, guys, if you're going to love and have a selfless love, that is, what, that is how you do it. You think of others better than yourself. And you look to others' interests and you take an interest in them. As the best example of this, I, this, love has been a huge growth area for me. I, I don't, I, just being honest with you. And I, I can't get into all the details of it. All I can tell you is selfishness ruled. You want to know one of the root causes of my, my struggle with depression? It is selfishness. I was focused on myself and I couldn't get the life I wanted to have. That's all there was to it. Um, that's just where it existed. You want to cure yourself of selfishness? Have children. I'm just serious. And, and have it as a, no. I, I, I've been. I've had a. Rep, I got a reputation around here. A few years ago, somebody came up to me, and they said, "Hey, uh, my wife and I are expecting. I hear you have a speech for me. I do. And I guess I've given this little speech more times than I realized." I said, well, I guess this is it. Your life's over. And guys, please don't understand that. You know, when, when, this was my ad, when, when my wife was pregnant with our first child. People said, are you anxious to have a baby? I said, no. I'm anxious to have a three-year-old that walks, talks, and wipes. What does that say? My, what was my focus on? Me. A baby just takes. That's the nature of it. And I wish I could say it ended when my kids were three. I mean my selfishness, okay? Because it does not die easy. I have, I've, I've told you this before. My, if I have one hobby, one interest, 
that I was, I, that's dominated me, that has distracted me, it's bow hunting for deer. I love every aspect of bow hunting for deer. I love scouting in the field before you go. I love hanging tree stands. I love being. I love getting up early in the morning and going out to the woods in 20-degree cold weather. I like it. I like sitting in the tree for hours watching the other wildlife. I love watching the deer that I can't shoot at. I love shooting at deer and missing deer. I, can, I tell those stories just as eagerly as I will tell the stories of me killing a deer. I love shooting deer. And hitting them, that's, that's gets good too. I enjoy tracking them. I enjoy hauling them out of the woods. I enjoy butchering them. And yes, I enjoy eating them. Every aspect of it, I enjoy. I have a 17-year-old son who happens to love football. And the number one rule I say with connecting with your kids is you do what they want you to do. They have an interest, you take it. And so a few years ago, my son, not only did he enjoy football, he finally decided to be a Rams fan instead of a Patriots fan, which is commendable before God, I might add. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, the whole Kurt Warner thing, and just so you know, the 49ers that are in the Super Bowl had two chances to beat the Rams and couldn't do it this year, okay? Just saying. Do you happen to, and, and, and we did, we, we, we got to go to, Jordan and I got to go to three football games together this year. He's the luckiest kid in the world, won two sets of tickets uh, to, to, the, to the Rams games. We had another set given to us by Robert Vogel. We bought another set. We, four games he got to go to. I got to be with him at three of them. We watch games together on Sunday afternoon. We talk about it. I do not know everything he does, okay? I can't tell you every person on the team and where they went to college and what their girlfriend's name is, and everything of that, and if their girlfriend's real. I can't do that. But I, ha- I do know more, far more than I did a year ago, far more than I did two years ago. You may not know this, but football seasons run smack dab in the middle of hunting season. So... The opportunity to go hunting on Sunday afternoon is now gone. That's not a big deal for me, guys, honestly. But it is, it, 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 it just, that's what love is. Love says what? Your interests are more important than mine. My wife, you know, you know it's okay to go hunt. I know it's okay to go deer hunting when my wife says, you need to go to the woods. <laughs> and this year, it happened around Thanksgiving, and she says, you've... She says, she says you, you can go to the woods. I think it was a Saturday, Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I had some time alone that morning. And I called her up and I said, I'm not going to the woods. She said, why? I said, because I want to be with my family. I want to spend time with my family. And guys, I, I'm not bragging on me. All I'm trying to do is say, that's what love does. Love is selfless. Love says, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. I don't care about, I'm not just going to be focused on my interests. I'm going to be focused on your interests. Guys, that's what love is. That's the way God wants us to live. And it's easier for that to me to do that with my family, let me be honest with you, than it is people who aren't my family. I mean, I, and I understand I have a big, much more commitment to that. But guys, that's what love is. Love is selfless. The next thing, guys, is that love is focused. And it's focused on three things. And the first it's focused on is on what goes in. 
It's focused on what goes in. Look at this passage in Luke chapter 6, verses 44 through 45. Jesus talking. He says, Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And you see, guys, what it's saying there right now is you're going to fill your heart up with something. Okay? You're going to fill your heart up with something. And Jesus said in in Mark chapter 7, I don't have this verse in here, He says, but that's where sin comes from is out of your heart. You see, and you want to know how to how to, not, how to sin less, you make sure what goes into your heart is good. You want to know how to love more? You put love into your heart. That's what it is. That's what it is. And guys, it gets back to the roots that we're talking about. The roots is where you decide what goes into your heart. And you've got to put the love into your heart. And it's interesting, guys, because it says they store it up. They store it up. And back to what I was saying earlier about God's love being infinite and and you never completely understanding it. You can't love somebody if you don't understand love. Do you know that? It's, It's very common. You see somebody who's very critical of other people, they're probably very critical of themselves. You see somebody who's very unforgiving, they probably feel unforgiving. You want to know how somebody who's very loving... They feel loved. And guys, you need, you need to understand that. One of my, uh, this was an eye-opener for me years ago in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about uh, a man must love his wife as he loves himself. What happens if a man doesn't love himself very much? He doesn't have the ability to love his wife. I mean, that's literally what it's saying. Guys, you have got to put into your heart God's love. You've got to be focused on what you're putting into your heart. See, guys, if you're sitting here today and you don't really understand what this relationship with God is all about, if you're sitting here and you go, I don't don't get it, I don't understand what it's like to have a relationship with God, or you're just not attracted to it, you need to focus on how much God loves you. You need to give that some attention. And you need to choose to be focused on having a relationship and putting that into you. Guys, the next thing you need to be focused on is on what goes out. You need to focus on what goes out. The end of that last passage in Luke chapter 6, it says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I believe whenever you try to judge or try to look into size of another person's heart, you're severely limited. You don't know exactly what's in a person's heart. But you want to have a real good idea of what's in a person's heart? You listen to what they say. That's what Jesus says here, because what? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Another place he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Guys, you want to know what's in your heart? You want to know what your love, love level is in your heart? You need to pay attention to what you're saying. And dare I say, 
You need to pay attention to what you're not saying out loud. Because you're saying it. Right? You just, you just have the ability to catch yourself. Some of us have that ability. Some of us don't. Um, because you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Jesus is saying that what's in a person's heart can be seen by what he speaks. And if you want to know where your love level is, pay attention to what you are saying. A few years ago, there was any group of people uh, that hang out together or, or have camaraderie or club or whatever, they usually develop their own little sayings. Okay? Teenagers are wonderful for this, right? You've got a heck of a lot of sayings, right? You've got a heck of sayings. Is that a say wrong? They tell me not to try to use these words. We were camping with our children and some of their friends. They could, Joe McKenzie, he's Gary, don't say that. They were using the word bank. He got bank. It means he's got a lot of money. I think that's what it means anyway. They never divulge it completely to me for fear that I'll use it. It doesn't work. They used to have a word they'd go, neck. Oh, neck. I'm not sure what that meant. So I just came on my own. I'd go, ankle. And they'd say, Dad, you're using it wrong. How do you know? But they got your own expressions. Do you know there were some expressions that were used around here at Greater Alton that we were known for in the past? Do you know that? You remember? Two of them, right? A couple come to mind. One of them was, I'm going to rip his head off. No, tear his head off, right? Yeah, the, the next one was, I'm going to rip him a new one. You know what that means, right? Okay. I just want to know, what fruit of the Spirit is that about? You see, guys, you look at your words, they tell you where you're at. They tell you what you're, what, where you're at. Now, and I'm going to talk in a little bit about confronting people. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, okay, because I believe that's a part of it. But if your approach to confronting and challenging is taking heads off and ripping new ones, I don't believe those are fruits of the Spirit. Okay? Alan brought this to our attention very wisely a few years back in a Wednesday night class. And, uh, guys, you just need to pay attention to that. Um, Guys, your words, you need to evaluate what's in your heart. By listening to what you say. That's the point there. Um, The last thing you need to focus on is you need to focus on God's purpose. Let me back up a minute. I'm sorry. There's a verse in Ephesians 4.29. It's in your notes. And this is the same. This this just illustrates, guys. Don't say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help wherever it is needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. You see, guys, that's what you've got to ask. Is my words more hurt when it comes to evaluating what's coming out of your mouth? Am I helping anybody? Do I know what their needs are? You see, guys, that's assumed there when it says, so that you can give help wherever it is needed. If you're going to know what a person needs, you're going to have to be involved in their life. And you're going to have to be loving. 
to know what they need and how to give it to them. So, guys, you need to do that. The last one, guys, is you need to be focused on God's purpose. I believe that there is a purpose for everything going on in your life right now. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, I believe that's what it teaches. You're very, you're, if, you, if you've been around the religious circles at all, you're familiar with it. Romans eight twenty-eight says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. You see, guys, God works and has a purpose in every area of your life. If you're married... He has a purpose. If you have a job, He has a purpose beyond just earning a living. If you have children, He has a purpose. As I shared earlier, in my life, that purpose was to help rid me of selfishness, was to teach me how to love selflessly. Guys, if you have friends, He's trying to work for a purpose in those relationships. If you are single... He's trying to work something out in your life for a purpose. Can't tell you what it is because that's different for every person. But He has a purpose for everything that's going on. And guys, we've got to be focused on what's God's purpose. Here's a, here's a passage in your notes from Proverbs 13. If you've ever heard the, the saying, spare the rod, spoil the child, that's not in the Bible, by the way. This is the passage of Scripture from which it comes. And this is what it says. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. What does it say, guys? There's a purpose. God has a purpose for parents in children's lives. And guys, there is a, when you understand God's purpose, guess what? You're able to love better. If you understand God's purpose, for me to understand... When I look at this passage, guys, and I understand that God has a purpose for me as a parent, what does that make me do? It makes it, it, I'm faced with a decision when I look at this passage. I've got to decide what kind of parent I'm going to be. If I'm going to be a parent that loves my children or a parent that hates my children. And it, guys, it, it teaches me. Why? Again, I want to be a person that loves. It's a growth area for me, so what does that mean? I've got to learn to discipline better. And discipline, again, means train. Okay? Somebody said something about, dude, this doesn't mean beat your kid. Well, you're correct, okay? This isn't a license to beat your child. And that's another debate on corporal punishment we don't want to talk about. The question is, are you disciplining your children? The question is, do you have that purpose? Did you know that God has that same purpose for us in each other's lives? That's what it says, in, in specifically one of the passages that talks about this in the Hebrews chapter 3, where it talks about we need to see to it that nobody has a sinful, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Guys, we have a responsibility to each other. And that purpose that God plays in our relationships with each other is to help us stay on track. There's another saying that I, that we used to, I used to hear a lot that I don't like, and we don't, I don't hear it much anymore. And it's called, I got your back. You know, I got your back. And that sounds like a very noble thing. And that means I'm going to defend you no matter what. Somebody else is attacking you. Somebody else is saying bad stuff about you. I got your back. I want to tell you right now, I don't want anybody to have my back. 
I don't want that. Jesus has my back, just in all honesty. I want you to have my front. And what I mean by that is I want you to keep, help keep me facing the right direction. That's what I want. You see, if you hear somebody, if you hear somebody complaining about me, I want you to find out maybe, maybe what they got to say is true. And if I'm off track, I want you to point me back in the other direction. Guys, that is the purpose that we have in each other's lives. See, one of the things also in the past Greater Alton was known for was being a confronting church. We were a church that said, we're going to be involved in your business, and we're going to confront stuff that we know is wrong. Now, I don't want us to be known as primarily as a confronting church. But I do want us to be known that as a church that loves enough that we will confront. You see, guys, because I believe that's the purpose that God has for our relationships with each other. He wants us to be better. He wants us to be more like Jesus. Guys, the last thing that love does here that we want to talk about is that love evaluates. And I know I just talked about that when you talk about your words. And I'm over time in those passages there for you to read. And all I want to do as we close out is, guys, I want this to be an evaluation time for you. Or at least to accept the, the challenge, the call from God to evaluate where your level of love is. How much of the fruit of love is visible in your life? You may look at it, and as, you, as we go through this, somebody may very look, very very easily say, you know, I have not been focused on God's love. I don't work on what goes into my heart. And I need to give attention. Somebody else may say, man, what comes out of my thoughts and out of my mouth is not good. And you realize that that's where you need to give attention to. And so guys, I'm just asking you as we close out today, you've got a communication card. If you know what God wants you to be paying attention to more, uh, jot it down there on that card. Let people pray for you. And I also encourage you to, to let the people in your life know, those who are closest to you know, what you're giving attention to. Let's close out in prayer and we'll be done.